Yeah. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that learned the hard way you do not put metal in the science oven. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. I don't think I got that one, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'll get to that in a second. Um, Wait, I'm glad you said that. (laughs) The other voice you're hearing right now is friend of the show, Bryn, has stopped by to join us for a... Um, for the actual top five list, but she's going to sit on the whole show with us. Um, so every show, the hardest part about putting the show together, so our listeners, like little behind the scenes thing, we always thought it would be funny for me to open every show with a reference to a movie or a television show or a comic book or something that we like and think is funny and try and find references to something. So every little joke I make at the beginning is a reference to something. And I was like, ooh, I need something. And I was looking at the shelf of movies I own and I'm like, what have I not made a reference to yet? That is a reference to the science oven. Is a reference to the movie American Hustle. Uh, Jeremy Renner gives Christian Bale as a present a microwave because at the time that there was like a new thing, and he tells him don't put metal in it, and he calls it a science oven. And then <laughs> Christian Bale brings it home to his wife Jennifer Lawrence and says, "Whatever you do, don't put metal in the science oven." And then she almost burns the house down. <laughs> so yeah, that's what that was. I don't always, I feel like, <laughs> I always feel like someone's going to get the joke and someone's not, and if you don't, no big deal, if you get it, it's just a little thing for you. <laughs> I'm just mad you didn't give a spoiler warning before that explanation, personally. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing, you may see the movie later and go, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> Sometimes they stick with you, right? Anyway, um, so welcome to the show. Uh, like I said, Bryn's here, she's going to be hanging out, she's here for the conversation of the uh, list for the evening. Um, but we'll get through some news real quick. I want, we have a lot of news, but I want to try and burn through it quickly, if possible, um, so we can talk our list because I figure that's going to be a daunting conversation. So, Peter, have we watched or read anything this week? Oh, right. I know you're done with Game of Thrones. Yeah, so like, well, that's what are you actually watching? what I was going to lead into is like I'm done with the show Game of Thrones, and I really want to uh, read through the books, and I own multiple ones, so I'm like ready to jump in, but I felt like I needed a bit of a palate cleanser, but I've also been borrowing a book from somebody at work, so I ended up jumping into that book, which is The Dirt, which is the autobiographical story of Motley Crue. Um, Netflix recently did a movie of this. I'll keep this brief, because I don't know if she has any input on this at all, but uh, I don't. Netflix recently did a movie version of this, which I watched and I liked, but uh, my friend at work who loaned this book to me told me oh, the Netflix version is, like, the Disney Channel version of the story. And this is a movie with, like, nudity, drugs. Like, it's really, like, a lot of bad stuff. And I'm like, how can this be the uh, Disney Channel version? And I started reading the book, and I'm like, okay, that's how. Because the book is way more descriptive and way worse (laughs) than anything they show on the movie. But it's pretty fun. I I like it a lot, so. All right. Anything else? That's about it, yeah. Okay. Bryn, have you watched anything? Like, are you... (laughs) <laughs> um, I watched a movie. It was called The Jungle, I think, with Daniel Radcliffe. It's on Amazon. Oh, okay. Oh, I haven't watched it, but ever since Harry Potter, he's been doing really weird stuff, so... <laughs> yeah, that, that pretty much covers it right there. <laughs> it's actually okay. based off a true story, but it was just really weird, like, with him in it. I, I wasn't really into it. You know what's funny is uh, Jim Carrey, because of Ace Ventura... He and, like, The Mask and, like, the comedies he did at the beginning got him to a point where he was so ungodly popular that he did the movie Cable Guy to scare away his fans. 
he talked about an interview years ago, but he did that movie specifically to make fans go, hmm, I don't know, and to scare them away. There's a chance that Daniel Radcliffe is doing the exact same thing <laughs> to be like, <laughs> you know what? I don't want to be looked at as Harry Potter for the rest of my life and my fans are driving me nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go do this weird nonsensical thing. So they leave me, start leaving me alone. I don't know. Yeah, that could be it. And then I'm also rewatching Game of Thrones, actually. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Which we'll talk about more later. That's awesome. Um, um, oh, I was going to say Jungle. I know like that, like vaguely about that movie. And is that the one where... Daniel Radcliffe is running around bearded and shirtless the whole time, pretty much. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> what I think is funny about that movie is because of people seeing, like, screenshots of Daniel Radcliffe with a beard and stuff in that movie, there's a weird fan movement online who want Daniel Radcliffe to play Wolverine in, like, the next version of the That's X-Men. That's interesting. Yeah. I- I'm still holding out for Zac Efron at this point because I saw that oh. I saw someone say that online yeah, and I, I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I'm totally in for that one. So <laughs> yeah, we I, I, I vote Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> over Zac Efron. I'm not a big fan of Zac Efron's. But... Um, that's fine. To read his own. Yeah. Um, so I watched uh, I watched the movie on the basis of sex, which is uh, the Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic. Oh, okay. So there is the biopic, which is like a fictional scripted, or not fictional, but it's a scripted drama based on her life. Uh, um, Felicity Jones plays her, uh, Army Hammer plays her husband, and it's basically about the original case that got her to be a lawyer. Um, there's also the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, which I didn't watch. This was the this was the biopic. It was fantastic. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, if so it's Batman and Jen Erso versus no, yeah <laughs> versus. Uh, no, Sam, Sam Watterson from Law and Order. <laughs> um, no, the uh, the movie was really good, so I highly recommend it. If you had any interest in watching that movie, it got some Academy attention. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to check it out. Um, and um, the other thing I watched is uh, Nat Geo is just started a mini series. When I say mini series, it's six episodes and it's done. Uh, um, at the time of this recording, it is. Um, May 29th, so tonight is the last two episodes that will air on National Geographic. But the book, The Hot Zone, is based... Is, so in 1989, the Ebola virus hit the United States. Fact. There was a book called The Hot Zone that was written about all the events that actually took place. It was actually meant to be like a documented thing. And uh, Richard Preston uh, did all the research, wrote the novel. He wrote it as if it was fiction. So when you read it, you don't feel like you're reading a true story, even though everything in the book is true. It's a novel that the CDC has completely signed off on, on this is what's happened. This is how it works. This is everything, all the documented everything on the virus. So National Geographic has made a six-part television series about the book, which also the CDC has signed off on. Um, I loved the novel, and it made me read a couple of other Richard Preston's novels. He's got one called Demon in the Freezer, which is about smallpox and like a couple other stuff. And I really like virus stuff. <laughs> um, I'm really into virus. <laughs> <laughs> I really like virus stuff. It really like gets me going because it's like a villain. It's a monster you can't see. Yeah. And uh, it, that makes it really scary um, because it's a very tangible thing at the same time. Um, but I highly re- first off, I highly recommend the book, and I definitely recommend the show. I've only watched a little bit of it, 
Um, but if you do read the book, the first 18 pages, I promise you are the scariest 18 pages you'll ever read in your entire life. And you will probably put the book down for like a week before you finish the novel. <laughs> so take the hot zone challenge. Yeah. Right. Uh, you look like you're going to say something. It, well, that just reminded me of that book that you're writing. Oh yeah. Well, no, but yes. <laughs> um, no, but yes. No, I didn't draw any inspiration off of it. I just. There's like some similarities. But it's not. Okay, well, I mean, so, I don't know. I never so got this. I didn't read the whole you thing. You never read the whole thing. No, I, I was working on a writing project, uh, and there was a viral type thing. But I just like viruses. It wasn't like based off of like the hot zone or anything like that. So I thought she was talking about your hot zone fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to news because there's a bunch. Um, so first off, I'm going to bounce around this list real quick. Um, Deadpool and Spider-Man. Did you guys hear about this? <laughs> uh, no. So there's a... I, okay, I saw Rob Liefeld tweeting about it, but I have no idea about the story. I so. have no clue if this is true. Yeah. I have no clue if this is just a rumor, but it sounds like they might use the next Spider-Man film, so Spider-Man 3, to intro Deadpool into the MCU. So, like, as we baby step the X-Men in, Deadpool's introduction will be in Spider-Man 3. Okay, cool. Um... That sounds... I'm all for it. I just thought that was... it. I'm like, there's not much we can say because we don't know if it's true or not. Yeah. It just sounded cool when I read it. I'm like, why not? I'm all for it. <laughs> you got to bring him in somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you heard something about Venom, Bryn? Well, I just like saw on YouTube, it was like a video. I didn't get to watch it yet, but it was talking about Spider-Man. I can't remember if it was about Venom being in the Spider-Man movies or Spider-Man being in the Venom movies. So I'm kind of confused as well. Because I saw something about this a while back when Venom came out because they said that when they get to Venom 2, they want Spider-Man in it. Um, But I don't know if Venom would make an appearance in a Spider-Man film prior to Venom 2 being a thing. Or even if it's just like a bonus credit scene or something. Like, I have no clue. Again, I'm all for it. Yeah, me too. And well, the like picture on the video was obviously created by someone but it was tom holland spider-man well they're saying that as far as they're concerned tom holland spider-man until the end of time like they don't want to change at all (laughs) like he's just he's just gonna be spider-man period and the more i think about it and i know peter you said you really liked the toby Maguire spider-man that that those three movie cycle i I know you and i talked about that i've liked like every version of spider-man for specific reasons i wasn't a big fan of homecoming like I, i didn't like that movie at all but I do like Tom Holland. Like, I really liked him in Civil War and some of the other Marvel movies. So, yeah, I mean, I'm up for that. I'd like to see where they go. I just (laughs) didn't like that one movie. Okay, yeah, no, I just, I like each version of Spider Man for various reasons, but I think Tom Holland really is the best. And it really shows Homecoming is not one of my favorite Spider Man films when I just look at the Spider Man films. But Tom Holland, it shows when you look at the crossover films, he really stands out as who he's supposed to be. He's really like he really understands what he's supposed to be doing as Spider-Man. So, and I don't know anything about the comics, but he just seems like a he really is like a younger version. Whereas the the like first Spider-Man movies, Spider Spider-Man movies, <laughs> the Spider-Man. He movies? was just like too old. Like I really yeah. liked him. I really liked those movies, but I like that's how I picture like adult Spider-Man and like Tom Holland is like the kid in high school Spider-Man. Mm, yeah. Um, well, speaking of spiders, I have a quick spider story. Um, I read this. There was an article I read, and it like is awesome and it's scary. So I just it's a real brief thing to say. 
So apparently the spider population on the planet dwarfs the human population on a scale that if spiders knew they could consume people as food, (laughs) they could wipe out the human race within one year. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) (laughs) So when you think to yourself, maybe I should kill that spider in the corner of my... Like in like up in the corner by the ceiling or whatever. You should. Maybe you should. Because I usually let him go eat the other insects. But mm-hmm. I look at it and I go, eh, he can eat the other insects. But then it's a big one and you're like, I need to get that. And you take your eye away for the briefest moment to get something to kill it. And then the spider's gone. I mean, the only thing left to do is burn the house down, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just thought that was cool. So I wanted to throw that out since we're on spider. <laughs> nice. Um, Peter, you had some James Wan news. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, director. Yeah, I... Uh, just because of like watching through Game of Thrones, I was like on this huge like news ban for myself to not have anything spoiled, and so I've been dipping my toes in a bit. So the only news, there. so Bryn, you told me the only time you ever received this kind of news is when you listen to our show, which makes or me. Or you feel, text me separately. Or when I text you stuff, but I, I really appreciate. It makes me feel really good that that's where you're getting your news from. The only source Peter's had for news has been me because he's been on the news band and <laughs> to, not get Game of Thrones spoilers. To, to an extent, yeah. Um, but anyways, so uh, one of the as I was like dipping my toes into current news, one of the stories I caught wind of is uh, James Wan has been announced as a producer for the next Mortal Kombat movie. So I'm I believe this is a reboot of the Mortal Kombat series, and James Wan will be producing. I personally think this is awesome. You have the guy who made Aquaman, which was an amazing world-building movie, and then he also has so much history in horror movies with the Conjuring franchise and stuff. But then if you look at the Conjuring franchise, he has all these different villains he's built into them, into those movies that have become, like, these really recognizable characters. And I feel like he can do, like, a good job of bringing, like, bringing to life all these, you know characters from Mortal Kombat that we all love. I mean, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this at all. Or... My thought on this is he should be directing. Um, but even on a producing scale, what's cool about James Wan producing this is that... I've said it I said it before that Aquaman has, like, kind of a silly mythos to the thing, like riding giant, you know, seahorses and just all the underwater stuff that... I, like... Um, Black Manta's costume in the comics, we've always thought it was ridiculous looking. But then you watch the movie and they give a reason why the head's yeah. big and, like, there's there's reasons for things. And you're just like, oh, yeah, you know what? The only way to make this movie um, legitimate and make people take it seriously is if you take the silliness seriously. And as cool and dark as, and exciting as the Mortal Kombat franchise can be, it's still silly at its core when you look right. at it, when you break it down in that aspect. So you have a guy who understands that you take that seriously. Hey, we're going to take this seriously. And, you know. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think it's like, I think this Mortal Kombat movie is something that's been in pre-production hell for years, too. So James Wan's brought on as producer, but they might shift some roles around. He might be directing and or writing, yeah. you know, as time goes on. Do you have any thoughts, Bryn? Or... No. <laughs> no, okay. Not on did this you see, one. <laughs> did you see Aquaman? Yeah, yeah I, did. Okay. I did see that one. It was really yeah, good. Yeah, I'm surprised. Nice. And you know what? I'm, I assume Disney saw Aquaman and said, hey, James Wan, come here. We have this Do Little they own Mermaid Mortal project. Kombat? Oh, Little I, Mermaid. No, Little Mermaid. Hey, James Wan, give me a minute. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but who knows? I mean, they could have just gone, wow, that's how they did that. Cool. Let's find a director to handle that. Hey, John Favreau, <laughs> did you see Aquaman? Come here a minute. <laughs> you know. Um... 
So since we're on Disney for a second, uh, let's talk Star Wars real briefly, Peter. There are a couple Star Wars things that popped up. These are rumors slash question marks. Um, first off, Vanity Fair released some set photos from yeah. the uh, Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker. So I believe... Did you see the set photos? I believe I saw the set photo, and that was it. Like, I, I think <laughs> I saw the controversial one, but I might be wrong. Here's the I... thing. So I... In the couple conversations I've had with people, and I haven't wanted to say it out loud because I don't want to spoil things if people are trying to not see things. All I can say is there is one image in the photos that really irritated me that that was a photo, that that's a thing. Now, these are set photos. I don't know if it's a flashback. I don't know what? if it's a um, if it's a force vision. I don't, you know, there's, there's many well, details to this, looks... and it's unrendered footage. It's not, there's details that could have not been in there. Yeah, I mean, so I could be wrong, but it looks like a scene that they showed pieces of in the previous two movies. How about this? Let me like they not, show they show a shot of spoil what it looks photo, like in the Force Awakens spoil as well the photo, as Last Jedi. In the photo, there's a droid. Sure. Standing next to the droid. Yeah, that's is the something. One I saw. Okay, that's the it's the same one we're talking about. Um, but that I, looks like something that they showed uh, in Last Jedi. I don't know. All <laughs> okay. I can say is for the for what we can think this movie is to show something like that kind of bugs me. Well, I'm but just it's saying out of context, and that's how many Ewoks is Jar Jar really going to feed to the Starlight? <laughs> <right>? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but it's out of context, so I don't know. Okay. Um, so all I can say is if you're trying to avoid spoilers for episode nine, don't look at the Vanity Fair article. However, some of them are literally just photos. Like we know Ray, Finn and Poe are in the movie. If you saw the other <gasps> movies, <laughs> Big spoilers. If you saw the other movies, you know those three characters are in the movie. Most of the photos are of them standing in front of the camera in costume. Big deal. Like that's not that big of a that's not that big of a reveal. Mm-hmm. But there's one photo that bugged me. So that's I'll leave it at that. However, <laughs> um so Kathleen Kennedy went on record talking about the next Star Wars trilogy after episode 9, the one that'll be out in 2022. I think that's right. She had this to say, um, because it looks like they might be looking into the Old Republic, which is what I thought they were going to do anyway. If you're bringing on the Game of Thrones guys who understand how to develop uh, history and using an existing source material, like what they did with Game of Thrones, um, the rumor is that they're doing Old Republic. Which is great. I'm really excited. That's exactly where I wanted them to go. So she said, yes, we're developing something to look at. Right now, I have no idea where things might fall. <laughs> that's the most vague <laughs> I, I quote you can... This it's the most vague thing you can give. But that says to me that they're probably doing some test footage for the Old Republic. How does it look? Do we think we can sell this? I, I mean... The, yes, you can could, sell this. Every Star Wars fan that, wants to But see it could it. also be like, so-and-so is working on a screenplay, and if it's good, we'll move forward with it, and if it's not, we're going right. to scrap it. Right. So we really have no idea at this point, yeah. in my opinion. Well, sometimes, like, uh, I know you saw the movie Sin City, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember the opening of the movie? Yeah, with Where the, uh, Josh, Josh Hartnett yeah. and uh, the one... I forget the girl, mm-hmm. but they were in the elevator, and then they make out, and then he kills her. Right. Right. Um, that opening scene, it's like seven minutes. They filmed that to show Frank Miller what they wanted to do to get him to sign off on them doing Sin City. 
because he didn't want to make it a movie. And then they showed him that, and then Frank Miller was like, oh, yes, you have to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that very well could be what they're doing with this. They found something that they could shoot real quickly, present it, and go, hey, this is what we have in mind. So just in terms of visual language and that kind of thing. Brynn's got this blank look on her face. (laughs) Um, That's because I've never seen anything Star Wars in my entire life. It's okay. It's okay. You're not being chastised here. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Peter, uh, you and I watched the Terminator trailer. Yeah. Before um, we started. Brynn, have you seen the Terminator trailer? Have you seen any of the Terminator movies? You can't shake your head. This is an audio podcast. Sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, our listeners can't see you shaking your head. Uh, the <laughs> Terminator. We did get a narrator for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you don't. You haven't seen the Terminators at all. No. Is that a franchise you are ever? Because I know you like the Alien movies, um, and I know you've yeah, looked. This is with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Yeah. I have very mixed feelings about watching them after I watched. Um, is it what is it that movie with him? And is it the Predator? Oh yeah, she didn't like she didn't like the Predator, the original. I don't know. That's the of all the I've seen most of the Predator movies, and the only one I is it the humor in it maybe. I don't know. I just I watched all of the Alien everything that, and then I went to the Predator to watch like the Alien versus Predator, and I just couldn't. Have you seen uh, the original Total Recall? Uh uh. That's my favorite Arnold movie. Is it really? You know, I was watching that before you came in. (laughs) Oh really? (laughs) Yeah, because it was it's on AMC right now. Um. Yeah, no, I'm still shaking just, her head. Yeah, it's just, okay. Um, <laughs> no, so the new Terminator trailer came out, and what did you think? That was cool. It looked good. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a trailer. Yeah. Um, my, I'm, not, I'm not super invested. Like Terminator, I like, but it's not my favorite franchise, so it's kind of take it or leave it for me. Look, but. the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I watched the trailer, and as I finished watching the trailer the first time, I went, "Nothing is going to be as good as Terminator 2." Yeah. Like, you almost can skip watching Terminator 1, just watch Terminator 2 and go, that was a good time, and be happy with yourself, and you really got something out of it, you feel good about yourself, you feel good about what you watched, you learn something, and you move on with your life. Yeah. I don't feel, and I mean, it's great that James Cameron's coming back as a producer, but, and it's directed by the guy who directed Deadpool, so that sounds, that is one one thing I was thinking about, is just... I heard so long ago that Tim Miller was going to go on and do a Terminator project, and it's kind of crazy that it's finally coming out, because I heard this, like, after the first Deadpool movie came out, like, next thing he's going to do is Terminator, and it's finally coming out, so that is, like, something to be excited for, definitely, but, yeah, I mean... Yeah, um, I don't know, like, it's just, I was like, eh, it's not Terminator 2, and, like, it's almost like that's what I want it to be, it's like, but I've seen Terminator 2, so it's just, I feel it's not going to be as good. Um... So Batman um, is no longer a prequel. It's no longer a sequel. Apparently, it's something new. So that a reboot? I have no <laughs> clue. So Matt Reeves' Batman movie, The Batman, or whatever it's supposed to be titled, is apparently some new, just on its <laughs> own thing. You know, I'm starting to think that DC wants to just completely like not have us let us have any clue what's going on, and then we have to figure it out on our own. Because until we knew that Marvel was building a sequential universe, until we actually had it all figured out as viewers on our own, they didn't tell us anything. They're like, hey, here's Iron Man. Now we're going to do Incredible Hulk because Iron Man made money. Why not? Hey, here's Iron Man 2. Why not? They didn't tell us there was any plan until we got to the first Avengers movie and then we're like, oh, there's a plan. Which I kind of feel like that might be the best route for them to go. uh, It might be. It's just like... 
there's not going to be so many people hating on their plan before they've seen one yeah. movie in the sequence of events that's supposed to happen. Yeah, there's so. there's also a thing of expectation. Once we once we knew that Avengers was a thing and they were planning for the next tier, we had expectations of storytelling. If we don't know what DC's up to, then we don't have expectations other than the fact yeah. that, look, a Batman movie has to have X, Y, and Z. So I'm going in it, and if they don't have it, I'm not going to like the movie. <laughs> you know, a Superman movie needs X, Y, and Z. If they don't, you know what I mean? Those are the only expectations I'm going to have going in, you know. Um, I'm just hoping this movie brings a lot of murder. Like, Batman needs to be murdering people nonstop. Just tons of murder. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, right? Um, you looked like you were going to say well, something. I just don't know how I feel about that because they already, like, DC has already started connecting all of these movies. So, like, how they can have. you start connecting them and then not connect them and then just be, like, mysterious about it? That's, um, I, I agree. Like that. I totally agree with you, and which brings me to the next point is um, in the Suicide Squad, is it a sequel? Is it a reboot? What is going on with Suicide Squad? Uh, Joel Kinnaman, who played Rick Flagg in the original Suicide Squad movie, is coming back to play Rick Flagg. So right now, aside from new characters slash new cast members, the only person for sure not coming back is Will Smith. Is that because Will Smith doesn't want to, or is that because they just aren't going to use Deadshot for this story? Either way, it's irrelevant, because right now, I don't know if it's a sequel, I don't know if it's a reboot, I just know we're getting another Suicide Squad movie with the majority of the original crew back. <laughs> Which, so. that's fine. But, like, this whole Batman thing of being, like, not a prequel, not a sequel, something new, like, there's already a Batman in that I know universe. That's what I don't like that. Well, Unless it's completely separate. Like completely separate, kind of like the Joker movie. Right, it's which like completely separate. Then again, then the Joker movie could be connected. Me. The look on your face is great. Right when I said that, the look was great. I feel so. I'm get a I get a different vibe from that based on sure. the trailer. So I maybe it is, but yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> so I have one more thing. I thought this was. I'm. I only want to bring this up because this came from the World Health Organization. Um, Video gaming is considered a disease now. And I just, a, just playing a video game? <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. Um, so I'm only bringing this up because they released a full statement, and I want to clarify for all those people out there thinking to themselves, see, you shouldn't be playing video games. That is not what they're saying. There's a specific degree here. <laughs> so um, gaming disorder recognized. The World Health Organization has officially recognized gaming disorder as a as disease um, 11th revision of the international classification of diseases and related health problems. Okay, so here's the actual statement from the health, World Health Organization. They define the gaming disorder disease as a pattern of gaming behavior, digital gaming or video gaming, characterized by impaired control over gaming, increasing priority given to gaming over other activities to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other incidences and daily activities. Uh, and con and continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. So what they're saying is, is if you get a divorce because of a video game, <laughs> that's disease worthy. If I say, oh, you know what, I I honestly the only time I get to play video games is like Sunday at like noon for like two hours. That is not a video game disease. That's me like just wanting to take a break and play a video game for an hour or two. You know what I mean? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just gaming addiction is a disease, it's, not it's, just video gaming in right, general. But. So I don't know, maybe there, there needs to be more to that statement there because mm-hmm. there's an addiction aspect to it. You know, I've heard stories about people getting divorced or not going to work because they're trying to play World of Warcraft and, you know, I mean, um, I'm not going to lie, I've taken off a day of work because a video game <laughs> released, but I didn't... Uh, I wonder if my students have this disease when they stay up all night and don't do their homework because they're too busy playing Fortnite. Yeah, I was gonna. I was just gonna say for all you <laughs> Fortnite guys out there, you know. I'm pretty sure that's the disease. Yeah. So anyway, I just World Health Organization made a statement, so we had to bring that up. Um, so, um, are you guys ready to talk the list for the night? Yeah. Sure. No, sure. <laughs> Bryn's making it. Yeah. So. Okay. So. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I guess you guys know what that means. For the top five. Okay, so before we get to the list, uh, something I didn't mention in the uh, watching category, I Peter and I talked about it a little bit before we uh, before you got here, Bren. Did you watch? Did we all watch the last watch? Oh, the 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 documentary. No, I didn't. But I don't care if you spoil anything. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a documentary about something you technically already know about. Yeah, um, but I I didn't watch. I completely forgot about it. And... Okay, Peter and I both. Peter watched it sort of. I watched it intently. And you didn't <laughs> I'm watch going it to watch it, but you can so, so I've, I've watched it multiple times while multitasking. <laughs> so my full attention wasn't on it, but I pretty much watched it. <laughs> so, well. When I watched it, um, I honestly, I was curious to what I was going to expect. I was expecting, so there are documentaries up, you made a face. I just remembered something that I saw that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Is Kit Harrington in rehab? I saw that too. It apparently and sadly has been confirmed. So I guess Kit Harrington was like super stressed out about delivering to the fans in the last season and getting through the final season that he just got a little stressed out and alcohol heavy so post season he yeah wow. he checked himself in rehab it's but here's the thing it's mostly related to stress and alcohol use it's not but it, from what i understand it's very like mild it's just he was like stressed out and checked himself in yeah. so i don't want to say like it's it's not like one of those things where your hero goes on a bender and and then you're like, oh, crap, you know, I can't watch his stuff anymore because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes when you hear horrible things about the people you like, it makes you look at their movies or their television shows differently. And I don't think that's the case. Um, no, I liked what he did. I thought he, he did no, I know. very um, well. Let me, let me give a perfect example. Um, Kevin Spacey is a perfect example of someone that we like in movies and then something bad happens to them. And then we're like, eh, I don't know if I want to watch that movie now. So... Okay. I'm just I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, there's there's other like ones I could have there's other ones I could have thrown out, but that is an extreme example. Um, so anyway, the last watch uh, was actually it was actually pretty good, but I prefer documentaries like this to tell a story, um, almost in a narrative sense, as opposed to it being a story that's like unscripted, because it was almost like they were just kind of catching candid moments of things going on. So you kind of understood the story you were following, but it didn't feel yeah. narrative in a sense because it was really about the crew. It followed like yeah. four or five crew members as a whole throughout, and then you got to see these glimpses of things. There was certain moments during it that I felt like they were focusing too much on the crew members and their lives as opposed to the craft of making the movie. 
I do, they did follow the story of that one guy who was an extra, like since season one, he's been a uh, Stark guard. He was a Stark guard. Every single yeah. time. And his story I thought was actually really good and really compelling. And I kind of wish they'd left it at, at that. And then some of the other people, they just focused on their craft of the movie. And yeah. I think that would have, because there were certain parts like certain crew members, and I feel bad for saying this, but they were talking about stuff where I'm like, I don't really care. I just want to know about the making of the show. So I don't know. And I, and that is exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. I'm like, if they created more of a narrative of how it works or of, I guess if they had a narrator explaining things, it would have helped a little bit. Um, but a couple cool things they had in there was like the table reads were awesome. They showed a table oh, read. Was, yeah, they showed a table read parts. from episode one season one so like you have tiny aria sitting next to jamie like you know what i mean because now they all they all look so young and everything everyone's sitting there reading like the very first script for the first time and then they showed like final episode read through for episode eight um for season eight it was just it, it, there were some really really cool moments in there you got to see amelia clark's final scene you got to see it was really interesting when they showed um like jorah's death um, oh, by the way, if you're not caught up with Game of Thrones, you probably this is massive spoilers. But I'll tell you, I'll say this: um, if you haven't watched Game of Thrones at this point, you obviously didn't care. Mm-hmm. So um, Jorah gonna it's, be it's, sorry it's, if it's, you haven't seen Game of Thrones yet. <laughs> it's been it's technically eight seasons, but it's been ten years. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones at this point, seriously, um, the uh, when Daenerys filmed Jorah's death. It was really cool how when the, you got to see it in a documentary of like how the set just kind of, I mean, it was just, it was like almost like the character died for real. The way they were all just quiet and just letting her, you know what I mean? Oh, it yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, and that was, uh, there's moments of watching the table read where you get emotional because you see how people react to finding out different characters died to this season and stuff. And that was really cool. Um, I'm totally interrupting no, your no, no, thing, no, no, but, uh, there's the part where, uh, so Varys, uh, the actor who plays Varys, at points during the table read is uh, obviously distraught about stuff. And I've been seeing that footage being used online where uh, they're saying that like he was so mad about the writing of the season, this is her, his reaction. But watching the documentary, I totally interpreted it as like he was struggling and knowing that his character was going to die. And so he was like, had this obvious distraughtness to his demeanor and i just like it kind of ticks me off that people are taking that footage out of context and seeing like see even this actor is pissed off about the script and stuff like that you know what i mean yeah yeah i've been seeing a lot of that kind of thing they're like look at so-and-so's reaction to the final episodes or even george's reaction what he thinks about the last episodes i haven't even clicked on any of those articles oh i know like the negativity is I feel like the negativity is waning if you're looking in the right places. I think people are just really happy that they got this amazing thing. Um, But, Bryn, before we really get on the list, because the whole point of tonight's episode is our top five favorite Game of Thrones moments as a series whole. So it's not just the final season. It's the whole series. Okay. Um, I didn't didn't specify that when we started the list part. I just... You told me. We just started talking Game of Thrones. Uh, no, on the for our listeners, they I didn't specify. Oh, I didn't say, "Hey, we're doing Game of Thrones moments." I just we right. just jumped right in and started talking Game of Thrones. Um, you and I never actually got a chance to discuss the finale. 
And there were a couple, like, texts between... Are we doing this right now? Yeah. <laughs> we can discuss the finale a little bit. We don't have to go super deep, but... What if, what if, Aunt, uh, if Drew was just like, and we never will? <laughs> and just ended the episode right there. No, between, between the two of us, we had some, like, very brief texts back and forth that didn't really amount to anything, and then we never actually chatted. And one of my texts was, you and I need to get together and chat. And you said, yeah, we can do that. Well, here we are. <laughs> like, we can do it offline if you want, but I just figured, why not? This is a perfect place. So you sounded like you were a little disappointed. I was um, really disappointed, actually. And I'm not trying to be negative or anything, but there's a lot of things throughout the series that I, like, wanted more answers for. Okay. And I just feel like they were kind of either, like, abruptly ended and, like, tried to, like, close off them or they were kind of ignored. Which I'm hoping that... For the book readers, they get more. Okay. Um, Are you not going to? And read I'm going to read the books. <laughs> but I've seen the size of them, so I know it'll probably take me a while. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, probably um, just as long as it's going to take George to write that well. Out. I know you're not a Sansa fan. I know she's like your least favorite character of the whole series. Um, are you okay with how Sansa's storyline ended? I don't. I don't care, but it annoys me that like she. She decided that she was going to make the North independent, but, like, Dorne has always tried to be independent, and you would think that... Um, you know, I never thought about Dorne, but... Like, they're always, like, the Prince of Dorne, and they're always, like, their own separate entity, so, like, why wouldn't the random new Prince of Dorne want to be independent after Sansa said that? Or the same with, like, the Iron Islands. Like, they've always wanted to be separate, too. Like, they have a history of trying to rebel. Why wouldn't, once the North declared their independence wouldn't they <laughs> well, also want their independence well too? let me let me argue on the defense of the iron islands real briefly because their time rebelling was that balon Greyjoy just wanted the throne it wasn't necessarily to be independent so much as i should be on the throne not you guys so i i will yeah defend them a little family bit family was part of that Go, going sure. along with that though i did think i did see a funny meme uh about the season where uh is it yara Yara yeah. Greyjoy, she she at the beginning of that meeting's like Daenerys is my queen, but then when it came to voting for Bran, she's just like I. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I thought I that was really funny. I really think that scene they couldn't really argue with what Tyrion was saying. Um, are you okay with Bran being on the throne, or are you like one of those well, people that's like, what the hell? I don't mind that he's on the throne, but like he was just such an odd character. Like he wasn't like nothing was really explained. He said like three lines every episode. <laughs> like like if we got more from him, then I would now, be like. Now you're doing okay. like a full rewatch, though. Yeah. Are you knowing knowing the outcome? Are I you still seeing feel like things... things are not answered fully? Like. Okay. It. I appreciate. Like I. I love rewatching, and I it for the longest time. Like I was in like. In between season four and season five, and it was like mimicking while I was watching the last couple episodes. There was so much symmetry between it. I mean, there's symmetry between There's the so whole... much symmetry, period. Yeah, like, but a like lot of it was just very. Of... And I was. And I, I, I don't know. I really loved the first seasons. So it was a little bit disappointing to feel like it was just kind of abruptly ended. I kind of feel like, so I have a different perspective than Bryn does because I binged through the whole series in mm -hmm. less than two months. And so my experience with it is like a lot of the questions I had, I felt like were hinted at or they were 
things that you could kind of read between the lines and find. But the difference between me and a lot of the other fans is I didn't have two years to wait for the final season. And I wasn't sitting there like speculating, like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What's going to happen? So I didn't go in into the final season with that many expectations. And so like, I'm not saying like my opinion's better or worse. I just think it's interesting the difference because I didn't get the same reaction out of it. I yeah. Guess, so, I mean. No, that totally makes sense because I mean I binged the first six okay se- yeah. seasons right in a row and then which was the the sept of Baylor when that fell? The end of season six. So yeah, I watched the first six seasons within like well, how about two this? weeks. Well, how yeah. about this? I watched it week to week from the beginning of the show. Yeah. And then I had the time gaps, yeah. and then I watched everything week to week, which one of the things on my list specifically lends to the fact that I watched it in that format. But I think so. what Peter's saying makes sense. Like, he didn't have that time to, like, think about all of these things. Like, yeah. I, I spent hours watching either videos or reading articles <laughs> yeah. about certain things, and I'm like, just for it to not really be panned out, it would have been better well, if I just watched Well, it's it. kind of like, if, so, like... If you take a movie, like if there's an, a movie that's an announced that you're really excited about, but you have to wait two years for it to come out, you can sit there and speculate so much. And then when you, you have your expectations so high, but when you finally see the movie, it might not turn out that great. But how many times have we all like walked into a theater to a movie we have no expectations for, we don't know what it's going to be, and we end up loving it? And I think it's just kind of that experience is what I had with the whole series, especially the finale. So I don't know. Just kind of an analogy that kind of sums up my experience, I think. I was very happy with the finale, not in my initial watch. I watched it three times <laughs> and then realized how happy I was with the finale. Um, I don't know how many times you've seen the finale. Um, not three times. Not three times. <laughs> yeah, I watched it three times almost back to back. Like, I watched it and then, like, I didn't know how to, like, react. I didn't know how to talk. I got text messages from people that were very angry that night. And I was like, well, I guess I can't talk to you for a couple weeks because I don't want to get into an argument. Um, I want to process before I start talking. Um, and the more I thought, the more I watched the show, like, I watched it the next night. And then I, again, didn't know how to process. And then I watched it the following night. And I keep I keep seeing it because HBO keeps running it. So I'll just stop and watch sequences. And the more I watch it, the more happy I am with the ending. And I feel like it's the ending that really, truly needed to be. And um, that's, I actually kind of feel that way, too. In the, in the healthy debate, I am... I kind of want to defend the show and have you like ask questions and like I argue on half of the show and like, <laughs> but I ahead. just feel the opposite. So it's that, that that's all right. I like my processing of how the series ended was kind of it was kind of similar to Drew's where I watched the the finale and like I loved watching the series. I love Game of Thrones and how it ended. I was just really like, man, I don't know how to feel about this. And part of it's just like with Daenerys' fate at the end of the show, you don't know. It's like you have to mourn, like you have to kind of grieve her loss for a little bit. And you have to like realize like this isn't like, I don't know if I got what I wanted out of this. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, I actually do really like this ending. And then I went into the stage of watching YouTube videos where people are bringing about, like, their versions of the end of the show. And I was like, oh, actually, that does sound like it'd be more suspenseful or more interesting. But I've come back to the original ending because, in my opinion, the way that the show ended 
it makes the true villain the throne and the pursuit of power where like we could have seen the night king go and take over king's landing we could have seen the night king go way farther than he did but then the message of that is that it's this the night king is the real villain which is a force of nature essentially where i personally think it's a better message to say this pursuit of power regardless of what other problems are going on the sort of like selfish pursuit of power is the true evil and that message to me i think resonates more even though i don't know if it leads to the most bombastic ending we could have gotten yeah i saw a meme that was like drogon with john after he killed danny and was like John is like, kill me, kill me, it was me. And Drogon's like, no, it wasn't you, it was the throne. And like, it was just like him, that whole sequence. So I would like to argue two points to the dragon melting the throne. First off, anyone who's had a conversation with me about Game of Thrones, I said the throne was going to be melted years ago, just for different reasons. <laughs> um, really? Oh yeah, I had this whole theory that they were going to realize that the throne was Valerian steel. Because, oh, the, thro- okay. because the throne itself is Valerian steel, and they were going to have to melt it down and make weapons to fight the White Walkers, and then the throne would be dissolved physically, yet the throne would be dissolved metaphorically, and then we'd be left with a democratic government, which we almost were, just the throne was de- melted for a different reason. Yeah. So I technically called that, and I remember sitting on the couch going, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> um, just for different reasons. But Drogon melting the throne, I thought to myself, okay... Is he lashing out angrily, knowing he can't kill John, and he's just lashing out and melting the throne, and the throne happens to be in that direction? Or does he know the throne killed his mom, and he's destroying the throne? I like to think it's a cross between the two. I want to. I want to believe that the dragons are uh, semi-intelligent. So I kind of wish they left that part like more ambiguous, where it looked because it looked a little too purposeful to me. I kind of wish it looked like. Drogon was lashing out and he accidentally killed the throne or destroyed the throne because then it would be a left to the viewer's imagination like what is their theory on what actually happened there but right that's just my personal preference so I don't know (laughs) yeah you're really quiet oh I like these both (laughs) both sides here that I'm (laughs) are are you a fan of uh sort of like Drogon being like intelligent Possibly yeah. or understanding what's going yeah, on. I okay. think so. Not talking. <laughs> <laughs> For those people who listen to, I don't know if you've listened to the newest episode. We go on a big argument about, about dragons, dragons talking, talking to each other. Did you oh, listen? No, I to haven't that? finished it yet. You haven't finished that yet. Okay. Yet. <laughs> yeah, I apparently don't like dragons that can talk, um, as opposed to the creature aspect of it. Anyway, let's talk <laughs> about the list because we're going to be talking Thrones for the rest of the evening. So if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, this list is 100% spoiler because we're going to be talking about the show. I I can Um, say I feel like we could go on for hours without even hitting the list and that's like the one thing like whether you liked or hated the end the great thing about the show is the amount of depth you can read into it and discuss with your friends you know. Yeah. Um, Which one of you guys would like to go first? I don't care. I'll go first. Peter's going to go first. Um, I'll go last. So you're up next. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so Peter, honorable mention. Yeah, uh, I have two. Should I just rattle them off both? Right we'll just away, do or? one at a time. I only have one honorable mention. So, uh, so my first one is uh, Arya killing Walder Frey. So I thought that was an awesome ending to. I think it happened at the end you of the sixth say season. Walder Frey or the Freys. 
Walter Frey, specifically. Because that was where... So, I was going to kind of mention that, too, but when she killed him, it was such a cool twist that I was not expecting to come, and I was just like, okay, that is so awesome the way it played out. And then I did appreciate how... I think it's season seven starts with her killing the rest yeah. of the phrase. Yeah. And that also kind of like made you go like, wait, what the heck is going on? Is this a flashback or what? <laughs> but uh, that whole thing, I just thought that was an awesome way to see her use her abilities. And yeah, yeah. it was cool. Brian, do you have an honorable mention? Oh, I don't know if I should do both of mine. No, or... we'll go. Okay. I don't know. Do you, you have two? Yes. Do you have two? Yeah. Okay. I only have one. So we'll let you guys do your first two oh. and then we'll... Oh my goodness. All right. I just, I'm trying to figure out which one I, well, technically I have Ooh. two and a half. Brent has two and a half. Well, I've got, a, I've so got seven you... honorable mentions on well, list. Yeah. Really All right. When we recorded last week, I had like 10 honorable mentions and I'm like, man, I, I gotta and chop when these you, down. When you told me about this, I like counted five in my head right away. That I was like, okay, these might not be the best scenes, but these are the scenes that I like really appreciate. And I can think like that just yeah. came to my head. And then I was like, Look, I, was, I love this show top to bottom. And that's the problem. Is that, so then you told me that however many, like a week ago. And yeah. so then I've had a whole week to think, oh, wait, I like that scene too. And I like that scene. Yeah, so yeah. I, my list kept on growing instead of shrinking. Um, and then I was like, I don't want to, I kind of want it to be different. And I'm like, everyone's going to pick this one. So I'm gonna, <laughs> so there was a lot of thought process. We, you you should have just told me the day match. of, and I could have just been like that. Um, I'm going to go with one that's not really that big of a deal. But in the last episode, um, the final, the final episode, it was not more of like a scene, but just like, I don't like filming wise when Danny was walking and the, the and shot where Drogon yeah, with the wings. Yeah. I just thought that was just so cool. Just looking at it. Like it was just very well shot and so that just really stuck with me mm-hmm. there's nothing that really went on with it it was just that that is two a seconds that's but... a beautiful beautiful shot period um there's another one um there's another dragon shot right before she kills varies where drogan comes like overhead yeah. from the darkness that's just amazing too mm-hmm. um but the but in the finale one of my yes Daenerys walking, but with the dragon, like with the wings and everything. My favorite Drogon moment is when Jon is walking to the throne room to go find Danny, and Drogon lifts himself out of the snow. Oh yeah. The that beautiful, beautiful cinematography. That was that's probably my favorite. Almost like he's like a guard dog, and he's like, "Oh, I know you," and goes mm-hmm. and lays back down. And that whole time, I couldn't figure out if that was snow or if it was supposed to be ash. Huh? I like the isn't, ambiguity isn't of it. Yeah. that interesting. Yeah, well, that's um, what... That's... Well, isn't that interesting because of Danny's vision, vision yeah. from season two with the Warlocks? Was it yeah. snow or was it ash? So, um, I actually... Both those shots you mentioned I thought were really awesome, too. And one of the cool things about the uh, the Last Watch, that documentary, is I really liked seeing that director and his process. And I think did that director did the same director do all the episodes of the final season? Um, I think he did. He did three of the six. Okay, and I'm assuming he had a lot of of the big cool shots like that because, like, I just think it's like a cool testament to his directing style because he had so many. I I would have to look it up, but I actually think the Double D's directed the final episode. The final one, okay. Yeah, I think that. Kudos to them. Yeah, right. It was amazing. (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, Peter, what was your next honorable mention? Okay, so this one might be on other people's full lists, uh, but I chose the Battle of Winterfell. Um, This battle was awesome. I thought 
the sort of story structure of just this battle in itself was really great where it's like, okay, we're all getting ready for this battle and then you fight the battle and then you slowly get picked off till you're like in a very hopeless state, but then you end up coming out victorious. I thought that was a really exciting thing. But I think because of some of it being, even though I liked the darkness, some of it being dark and just other little nitpicky issues it doesn't make my top five list but i still love that whole sure. sequence so i'm glad you love that because there's is, so many people angry that they couldn't see anything <laughs> yeah. is it okay to pick a full battle for a moment I, yeah i'm totally okay. fine okay. with that i was cool. actually um <laughs> i've watched so my favorite moment is the second half of season five <laughs> no, I'm just so well no because i was thinking about this so i was googling game of thrones moments not because i couldn't think of them because i was yeah. curious so, like, you are binging the entire... You just binged everything, so everything's super yeah. fresh. Bryn, you're on a second rewatch? Okay, I've... Yes. A se- so, you've watched it one time through, and you're secondary... And this is your second time through the show. I have gone through the show three times. I'm about to start a fourth rewatch, because I'm really curious. Now that I know how it ends, I'm gonna, I want to yeah, watch it all play out. Yeah, that'd be fun, just to see if they hint at it, stuff at the beginning. Well hinting, like at, well, hinting at stuff, for example, did you guys see the poster? I'll, this quick tangent, but did you guys see the season one poster? It's a very iconic image of Ned Stark sitting on the Iron Throne. Oh, right. And if you look on the right-hand armrest of the throne, the three-eyed raven sitting next to him. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And in the very first episode when Ned... So you have the one deserter from the Night's Watch in the pilot episode of the show. And Ned has to go execute him because he left his post. And he's like, make sure Bran comes with. And Catelyn's like, no, he's too young. And Ned goes, no, he's got to learn this. Oh, interesting. He's got to learn this, doesn't he? When Ned is reading his rights to the guy that he's about to execute. And John's like, don't look away. Dad will know if you do. Ned's reading his last rites to the guy, and he says, King Robert, or Robert Baratheon, King of the First Men in the Andals. When Ned says those two lines, King of the First Men in the Andals, the camera is on Bran only for those two lines of dialogue. It's almost as if they told you in the beginning that Bran was going to be on the throne in the end. But they also were told by George, before they started the show, the ending of the show. Can I ask you a question now? Yeah. Do you think that the book's going to end, like, the same way? I'm not sure. I think things are going to play out differently, and I'd like to think they all end up in the same boat. I really do. George said it was going to be a very bittersweet ending. And so you think that it will be, like, brand... I, I have a feeling in the end... I mean, George could change it, yeah. but I have a feeling in the end, you're probably going to get the same ending. Do you think it's going to be the same, like, sequence? Like... I don't, I don't think so. I think... No. So I've heard... John's like, ending, for sure, I think is going to be the same. I've been seeing people, like, talk online about this a bit, and, like, the kind of theory that I agree with is that George told uh, D&D, the showrunners for Game of Thrones, he told them, these are specific events that need to happen. That have to happen. But how and you if guys I die, get to this it, is... Right. Well, I think he said, like, how you guys get to it is up to you to a certain point. But yeah. this this is how the story's going to go. So that's the right. theory I agree with. But, I mean, it could be at the end, like, John goes and joins the wildlings and lives free. And it could happen in a completely different, different way. way. You know, Because so. John's... Um, you weren't here last week when we were talking. Um, because John's choice 
to kill Danny, knowing he was going to be a pariah, knowing he was going to cast out. It's it's the thing where Jamie killed everyone for the woman he loves, but John had to kill the woman he loves for everyone, yeah. and it's the and it's the true heroic sacrifice. Like John's journey is the only true heroic ending in the entire show because of the choice because of the hard decision he had to make and that's what a hero does so um i think john's end no matter how the books play out john will still get the same ending do you think that they're gonna like this whole azora high thing like that's gonna be the same not it, not the same because it wasn't really in this show that much um but. no and i keep i always bring up sansa's um story arc um when people talk about talk to me about the books in terms of differences because uh sansa where the book kind of leaves sansa she's on her way to winterfell to take back winterfell as the lady of winterfell but ramsey is getting married to a girl to jane yeah. pool who he's playing off as Arya stark because no one knows Arya is still alive and basically the double d's went why are we going to do this stuff with Jane Poole and Ramsey when no one who, and if you've just watched the show, you don't know who Jane Poole is. We'll just make it Sansa and we'll kill two birds with one stone because Sansa's got to get there anyway. And I thought, and with Sansa's character, I thought it was a really smart move for the show to do because it was character growth for her to go through that for later when you get to like bigger stuff like, you know, the Battle of the Bastards, the Battle of Winterfell, like how she became a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I use that as an example of so when you bring up the Azor High stuff, I just feel like that's just things are going to play out differently in the book, and they're going to be heavier. They're going to be heavier attended to in the novel because I mean these are tomes; these are like thousand plus pages. Mm-hmm. You know, the first couple seasons of the show are almost each book verbatim, and then they slowly differ a little bit, but that's because characters lived, died, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, it also might be something where, like, George told D&D that, like, the Zora High prophecy is important, but they can let it play out how they want it to, and in the book it's going to be completely different. Because I've seen, like, articles about how, like, Jon Snow actually fulfills the prophecy, but it's a very metaphorical, like, subtle fulfilling of the prophecy mm-hmm. instead of, like, a literal pr- fulfilling of it, so... Yeah. Yeah. There's also the argument of interpretations of prophecy, which misread could be. Sorry, that was a quick Star Wars reference. Anyway. Um, <laughs> right on my head. Um, uh, yeah, I that was a big tangent, and I don't remember what yeah, I was talking about the prior to the list yet. Or... No, we're still on. Brent's <laughs> got mention. Look, we knew we it's were going to be here for a while. Yeah. We could be here all night if we honestly wanted to. So, Bryn, you have a second honorable mention? All right. So, I'm going to cheat and just do a small shout-out. Because okay. it was between my two how I narrowed this down. So, I just want to give a little shout-out to Lena Mormont in the scene in the Battle of Winterfell. But my true... Um, when she killed the giant? Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. She, yeah. And my true um, one is... I think they're in Marine. It's with Danny and the Masters when she's gonna like trade her dragon to the Master. Yeah, for is yeah. it in Marine? So it, it's not Marine. It's uh, uh, I can't remember the city. I think it was name, Young but, Guy. Yeah, I yeah, think maybe that Young. Right. Yeah, because that's it, yes, because it was for the yeah. Unsullied, mm-hmm. and that's where they're from. Okay, so that um, when she hands him the dragon and then she like pl- plays it off that she's like gonna go through this deal, and then she totally just says Dracarys and. 
Yeah. He's in mm-hmm. flames. <laughs> which I think there's a lot of like rewatching it. There's a lot of like little things that you can kind of see this whole Danny becoming evil, oh, yeah. crazy. Like there's well, she so was, many the, the tyrant was always there. And yeah. Tyrion said it himself when he was talking to John. He's like, she burned these guys. She killed these guys, but they were evil men. But, and she killed these guys, and they were evil and men. Tyrion and Tyrion did all we him. did were cheer her on because yeah. it was the thing to do. And so. he was like pretty much speaking as the audience at that part because like we all did cheer her on along the way. Yeah. But I've been arguing with some friends about this too, like people who are mad about the way uh, Daenerys went at the end of the series, but she's literally like. Everyone she disagrees with the whole show, she literally kills. Like she doesn't even show like any mercy. Yeah. Like even when she uh, yeah. she killed one of the slaves in Marine for uh I think he killed one of the uh what is it, the sons of Sons of the Harpy. Yeah, Sons of the Harpy. Like he killed one of them without her like uh permission or whatever and she ends up killing him even though he's on her side, like literally shows no mercy yeah. through the whole series. So there was there was an episode in so, season uh hey, you people who are upset about Danny's uh, uh turn, it was planned. Yeah, well there's a scene <laughs> like talking about that, there's a scene where she's I don't know where she's at, but she it's like when the masters like killed and like hung a bunch of like oh, children. Yeah. And who is the guy that is it Barris? I think Barris and Selmy. Yeah. She's talking to him and he's like trying to talk her down and like you have to sometimes you have to serve justice with mercy and she's like, No, we'll serve, serve justice, justice with justice. justice. And mm-hmm. I was like, that right I watched that episode and during the day and like the second second to last episode of that night and I was like, It's there. Like it's all <laughs> it's, it's, right it's always been there. Look how look at her reaction when her brother dies when he gets the golden crown. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's that's a perfect example. I, I had a taste of it when uh it actually so the first two seasons when they were airing, I was actually watching them as they came out, and then I just fell behind, so I had to re-binge it. But back when I was watching the first two seasons, and uh, it's at the end of the second season when Daenerys locks, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but in Karth, she locks that guy and, like, her old... Yeah, like, and, the, and, like, the vault. Like, yeah, and the, the vault, and uh, the person I was watching, <laughs> the friend I was watching it with, thought that was awesome. Like, oh, that's such a cool thing, but back then I was like... Well, it's kind of messed up to do that, <laughs> you know? And then yeah. the second rewatch through, I didn't think about it as much. But then when I got to the end, I was like, yeah, I mean, I could see this actually happening. So. All right. So I have one honorable mention, and then we can actually move on to our actual list. <laughs> right um, so my honorable mention is, this is from season two, uh, Tyrion tricks the council. Um, because he thinks there's a mole in the council, like someone's reporting stuff to oh, yeah, Cersei. That was great. That so was he one. tells them each a different story, and then once the leak happens, he knows who who it was, and that's how we got uh, Maester Pycelle, yeah. like you know, like kind of booted off the council. It was one of the coolest things, but it really showed you how smart Tyrion was, and he was like. And if you didn't like Tyrion prior to that scene, that's the scene where you're like, okay, there's something about this guy, <laughs> you know. So. Mm-hmm. No, I love that too. Yeah. Um, I always it always bothered me because like, Maester Pycelle did get like punished for that, but then throughout the show he still like remained like kind of like a powerful figure for way longer than I felt that he should. But I also liked that he was kind of like the joke of the council like the whole time, like the guy who at least I personally would laugh at every right. time he tried to put his two cents right. into something. Okay, let's move on to the actual five. Um, Peter, you said you'd go first. Oh, for sure. Okay. Sorry. I lost track of what was even going on. So my first pick um, is the uh, Battle of Hardhome. So I thought this was an awesome fight. Um, 
I think this battle specifically probably has the best fighting, in my opinion, out of the whole series. Like, some of the sequences with uh, John fighting White Walkers and stuff is amazing. Um, and I just thought it was, like, a really cool way to... Uh, you and like... I matched on this, by the way. Okay. Is, was this maybe higher on your list? It was a little bit higher, but yeah. we can, it doesn't matter. So It was a really cool way to kind of just build up anticipation anticipation for the night king at the end too like it ended in such a cool this way. was probably the first battle where you really saw the white walkers in full force really what they could do um we learned about how valerian steel could kill a white walker um this was the this was the battle where the night king walked out on that dock and raised his hands like this is the f i give <laughs> and uh raised the dead and you're just like oh my god you know these guys are literally unstoppable so it really showed how brutally important it was to fight the White Walkers and not worry about things happening down in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Um, just I agree. Okay. Yeah, that was a good <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to say about Battle Hard Home? It was also hyper intense. Like, mm-hmm. we went in. The episode is just titled Hard Home. You go into that episode not knowing that that's going to happen. Yeah. And it was incredible. Um, so. What season was that in? Five. Yeah, season. Yeah, that five. sounds about right. Like season five, episode nine. Or yeah, something like, like I just, that. I, I, don't, I just don't think like anybody, like even the readers, because I, I wasn't even expecting it. You know, like I've read the books and I was like, okay, episode hard home, cool, and there's a lot of talky, 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 and then suddenly <laughs> the White Walkers attack, and you're just like, whoa, and it just became nuts, and it was like twenty minutes of nonstop mm-hmm. just White Walkers like murdering people. One, so. one other aspect, and this is just a little thing, but I love the part where uh, you see like all these wildlings running into the water to get away from the whites and the white walkers and that's just like such a cool visual because I'm just watching it like I know how cold that water would be and you that's the last thing you would do but these guys are trying to swim to Stannis's ships to escape that like that's how bad this threat is so I love what's that funny too. about the white walkers not swimming is when you're on Greyjoy in season seven asks if the white walkers can swim John goes not that I've seen and we're all sitting here thinking to ourselves well you know Except for the ones that swam down and chained up the dragon and brought it back up. <laughs> so, um, Bryn, your actual first pick. All right, right, that's a perfect segue to mine that I'm going to talk about next. Um, is the beyond, beyond the Wall, that whole battle with, like, when they were trying to bring the White Walker back. and just this, Oh, like, getting the, going to kidnap yeah, the White Walker. Yeah, to okay. kidnap him. I like that whole battle. I just, like... Where they were stuck favorite. on the ice, like that, like ice circle. Yeah, but also like the beginning, like with Beric Dondarrion with his like sword when he it's like just really blizzardy, but then you he just like holds up his sword and it just bursts into flames and that I mean it's like there's scenes within that whole thing that I really liked the whole like <laughs> poor Thoros that is his maker finally <laughs> the bear the yeah yeah the polar bear. So I really liked that one. I thought it was really cool. And see, the polar bear made me think we're going to get to see the ice spiders that we never got to see. Um, so there. Um, all right. So I, I get... Oh, I, I could comment on that. Like, why? I don't know if you're trying to rush. Sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, I didn't match that pick, but I think it's a great pick because one of my favorite things that shows or movies can do is put characters in like a situation of peril and you just sit there going, like, how the heck are they going to get out of this? And you try to, like, strategize yourself. And I think that whole sequence does such a good job of that, you know what I mean? So Yeah, and that's a very, like, dead-to-rights moment until Danny kind of yeah. came yeah. over the thing with the dragons. So, 
Um, since you and I matched, Peter, this goes back to you, so we're on Okay, four, sure. So this four. might be a higher one for other people, but um, I kind of arranged my list in terms of emotional impact for me, but uh, my next pick is actually the Battle of the Bastards. So We didn't um, match on this one. Okay, so this one... You are all battle, by the way. <laughs> uh, I'm not, but so far, eh? <laughs> so, <laughs> why did Arya kill on Walder Frey, too? But, um, so the Battle of the Bastards is, uh, it starts off as your typical Braveheart sort of uh, standoff at the edge of, like, at the end, at two ends of a field, you have a big standoff, you all rush together. But uh, the way the battle plays out and the sort of strategies that are used, mostly by Ramsey, is, like, it's awesome. Just, like, I love, like... In movies, I love seeing, like, tactical battle stuff, and I just love the sort of tactics of this and how um, Ramsey Bolton's forces surrounded, you know, everybody else and, like, how it just seemed so hopeless. And um, what's-his-face? Peter Baelish, like, his forces from the Eerie save them at the end. But just the way... It, again, relates to Bryn's last pick, but that sort of, like, hopeless feeling of how... Are they going to get out of this tight spot they're in? My favorite, no pun intended. my favorite shot in that sequence is when John is like on the battlefield by himself. The entire cavalry is charging at him. Oh yeah, and he just draws it's the an sword, and shot. it's just like you know, like that's that's what a hero does. It's mm-hmm. like not nope, stand on my ground and just draws a sword. Like here we go, you know. So yeah, I was nervous for a second when he was like getting like trampled on and it was oh, just like when he was getting trampled on like, like, right. I don't know how this can end up <laughs> any other way like this <laughs> this has to be mm-hmm. it <laughs> but somehow with the Knights of the Vale um Bran what's your number four okay um yeah refresh your phone sorry it like, doesn't really last very long um okay uh I just like to see what ones I could how I can make it flow, but there's not really any flowing. So I'm going to go with um, Oberyn versus uh, the Ooh, Mountain. The Viper and the Mountain. Yeah, the Viper and the Mountain. Just because I really liked Oberyn, I, like, re-watching it, I'm like, man, this is a, such a good character. And then he was like, he, how he just, like, went up and just said he was going to fight for Tyrion. And we're like, yes. And he essentially beats the Mountain, but just couldn't, do it and had to run his mouth and that was the end of him yeah. and just like that scene of just him getting his skull crushed in through his <laughs> eyes which when yeah like, that, repeated. that was actually really good like, yeah yeah i like that part too and then it got repeated when he was doing it to the hound at the end but <laughs> yeah no that was a phenomenal fight and i was i was all prepared for it. and like god this just looks so more visually stunning than it did in my yeah. head when i read it and yeah I like the whole message of that fight is just like don't showboat either, yeah. or you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, tortoise and the hare, don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we got to yeah. learn something from this. Um, all right, so my uh, next one is uh, Tyrion's speech at his trial um, when he was being tried for Joffrey's murder. Um, this was an Emmy-winning performance for him, but it was the monologue that Tyrion delivers is just absolutely phenomenal. You felt for the character like on a deep emotional level while he like yelled at his father and yeah. It was it's just amazing. I don't have a lot to say about it other than how powerful of a scene that was. Um, but I just remember that scene ending and I had to pause it and think to myself like man, they better give this guy an Emmy for just that scene alone. So, this is when he's like you're not on trial for being a dwarf. 
saying like, he's like yes I am I've been on trial for being yeah, a dwarf my, whole, my entire life yeah, yeah and I mean, like that that sequence and uh, there's uh, if you've ever seen some of the behind the scenes footage there's a cut of him where like they because him and Jamie were supposed to walk in like they were like going to open the doors and they were supposed to walk in together and uh, there's one shot where um, it's on a bonus feature in the uh, on the Blu-ray where they open the doors and him and Jamie dance up to the stand. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a really funny bit. He's in handcuffs and he's like dancing his way up. That's funny. So, um, um, yeah. I didn't match that pick, but that's a really good one. Like, uh, there's this one line where I'm not gonna say it uh, literally what it is, but when. Uh, uh, Tyrion says the line where he's like, I didn't kill Joffrey, but I wish I did. Like, that is such, like, a good line where yeah. when you're watching it, it, like, when I watched it, it, like, sent chills down my spine. But it also was, like, something I related to, like, yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing in the same situation. And it, that was really good. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure we were all saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have, uh, Peter, it's up to you now. Yeah, actually, that... Uh, pick leads very well into my next one which is the purple wedding so i think if i had to like sum up this show for it's like i couldn't show it to a new viewer to be like this is what the show is all about but i think this whole wedding sequence was kind of to me what the show is all about where there's all this stuff going on but there's also like these the creators are like real life stuff going on yeah yeah but like just the creators are also like tugging at like these emotional strings and especially the part where uh, Joffrey does that little, like, play with the little people and it's kind of like a satirical version of the war that's yeah. going on. That part was so intense. I don't know if you guys got the same yeah. reaction, but I was just like, like, it made me cringe the whole time, but it was, like, awesome. And, like, Joffrey gets his comeuppance at the end, but the way that all played out was just so... It was cool that that scene made me feel the emotions I did, which not a lot of things do, so... Yeah, that whole scene, I was, like, so mad. I, like, <laughs> yeah. already hated Joffrey from all the stuff that he did before, but it's like, really? I don't know. Yeah. And Just I love one more that... thing to hate him yeah. for, and then... I love that... Uh, however, I do love that when he died, he was staring into the faces of his parents, and he didn't know. That's actually a good point, too. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, I also like that at that scene, he literally, like... He had ways of throwing jabs at, like, almost everybody there, but, like, really subtly. And I don't know, it's just, like, amazing how, like, okay, that would piss Marjorie off. That This whole thing's pissing off Tyrion. This is pissing off Sansa. Like, I liked how it all just came together, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, Bryn, you're up. Okay. I have two left. Three left. Yeah, three left. Oh, wow. All right. Um, I'll go, just because you kind of mentioned it before, I have the Danny, uh, Khal Drogo, and Viserys scene. Oh, the Golden Crown? Yeah, the Golden Crown. Just because okay. that was, like, the the first time where we saw Danny like that. And also, I just thought that line was so... Like, Khal Drogo's line was just so good. Like, giving him that crown. Yeah, and that's, like, probably the first moment where you really cheered for Danny, too. Like, you were just like, yeah. like, And that's probably one of the first moments in the show anyone, like, cheered internally, like, yes, kill that guy. Yeah, between me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have anything else to say on that one? No, I mean, I just would have liked to see Khal Drogo last a little bit longer because I liked that scene that made me like really like him too, even though it was kind of brutal. But, right. um, well, I'm going to jump back to, uh, for my next one, I'm going to jump to uh, one that Peter mentioned earlier because he talked about Arya killing Walder Frey. Mine was Arya kills the Freys. 
Um, so like you didn't know it was Arya. It's just like it almost seemed like a flashback because you're like, didn't I see that guy die? Because like season six ends with Arya killing Walder Frey. No. Yeah, season yeah. six ends with Arya killing Walder Frey, and season seven opens with Arya as Walder Frey killing the Freys. But the cool part about that is, first off, you're watching the scene, you don't know what it is until Arya takes her mask off, takes off the face, and she and that the line was just straight faced says, "If when people ask what happened here, tell them that the North remembers. Tell them that Winter came for House Frey." And you're just like, "Yes." <laughs> That's what I've been waiting for for a very long time. Arya, when I started reading the first book, so like Game of Thrones, the first novel is titled Game of Thrones. Uh, when I read that back in the 90s when it first came out, my initial reaction to Arya and your first introduction to the character when she's just a little like scrappy tomboy kid running around Winterfell, I was instantly fell in love with that character. She was instantly my favorite character and still has been my favorite character throughout so i mean that was just a cool pivotal moment to see happen yeah yeah i like that uh i didn't go into it earlier too but i love that that scene plays on like the fact that it's between seasons so you might not even remember stuff correctly which leaves the viewer even more confused at first and i don't know that was just so genius how it all played out so. yeah I believe that was a cold open too. I believe the I themes because right. they only did so the the pilot has a cold open, which apparently because um, the theme song does not play before that opening scene. You see the scene beyond the wall first, and then they play the theme. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's only like two other shows, two or three other shows in the history of television that have ever done that on a first episode. Mm -hmm. So that was like a kind of a landmark thing for them to do. And then they did the they did the cold open with Arya, and the only other time they did the cold open was with um, the episode where you found out the Hound was still alive, mm -hmm. and like with that like church group building houses. Mm -hmm. So hmm. um, nice. I think that'll yeah. lead to my next one. It is. You got two okay. more picks. So this is one I I'm actually curious if I matched because I feel like I wouldn't. But uh, my next pick is Sam killing a White Walker. So this scene the first time. The first time, yes. Yeah. The, the very first time. Uh, him and Gilly um, trying to get back to the wall, trying to su survive in the north, and they find that cabin, and they stay in it. And that scene, just the whole way it played out, and especially all the ravens coming to watch them, because you had no idea what that meant at that point in the show. And then the White Walker <laughs> it was, comes in. It was Brant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the White Walker comes in, and then uh, he kills the White Walker, and... Just the whole thing, you're like, wait, so did the White Walkers control the Ravens? Like, what is going on? And just, there's so much mystery, but it also gave me such an eerie feeling, too, and I just loved that whole sequence, so. I really liked what that did for him in the long run, too, for his Sam. character. Yeah. I just think that made him just that much more important of a I just want to know why game. everyone has a buddy named Sam. Do you think John, John, Frodo, Captain America, they all have a buddy named Sam. Um, <laughs> Do you think it was done in Game of Thrones as an homage? It could have been. Or? It could have been. So. Mm -hmm. I also, uh, I really like survival stuff in movies, and I think that's like, that whole like sequence of Sam and Gilly trying to survive as they journey back to the wall, I think that's like a really cool, like, I don't know, I just get into the whole survival aspect yeah. of it, so. Sure. Uh, you're... Number two. You got two more picks left. Okay. Well, I'm going to choose 
um, the King of the North with John, though. Like, John King of the North reprise. Yeah. Um, just because we've seen that scene before, but I just felt like it was much more meaningful. But when it was John, just after him overcoming everything that he's yeah, that gone was through. Yeah, post-Battle of the Bastards yeah, and all just that like stuff. all of that with all of this. Like, I just felt like the support was, like, truly there. Like, they didn't have to... He had no claim to anything, and they truly just supported him. I just thought that was really cool, especially since we've seen it before, and it just made it... It was just yeah. more, I don't know, emotional, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my next one, then, is um, Bombing of the Sept. That's a good one. Right. Um, this specifically, not just because Cersei blew up all those people, and visually stunning was that sequence when they blew up the Sept, what this really did, what really worked so well for this is the music. The opening of the episode starts with this solo piano score, just this plunky little solo piano score, just this nice little mm-hmm. tune. You're just listening, and while they're doing it, you're watching everyone get dressed. They're putting on a cloak, they're putting on a ring, they're putting on a crown, they're like buttoning like something on their dress, whatever. They're basically all these characters are getting to the set for this trial while this piano music's playing, and all it's doing, there's no dialogue, yeah. it's just all it's doing is building massive, massive intensity. And you're the whole time you're just watching, it's like, I want to say it's like 10 minutes, and you're like, I don't know what is happening. And then you realize what is happening, and you're just at the edge of your seat going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and then the sept blows up. So it's the level of intensity, it's the brilliant photography, it's the script writing in general. Like I said, there's no talking, but it's the yeah. way it was planned out. Um, to make this scene even cooler is I got to go see Game of Thrones in concert. Um, and when they did that, uh, the composer, uh, Rami, however you say his last name, was talking about the sequence and talking about the instrumental use and using the piano and then having the orchestra come in and all that stuff. And then he's, like, walking on this, like, cool catwalk down to, like, a piano that has risen out of the stage. Like, it's just come out of the floor, and it just this piano appears. And then he stops talking, and then the screen behind the orchestra, so this massive big screen behind the orchestra, starts the scene. And he sits down at the piano and starts playing the piece. So now I'm watching the actual scene of the Sept getting blown up and he's playing the music and the orchestra comes in where it's supposed to. So I'm watching the full scene, full orchestra. And while he's playing, the piano is slowly rising higher and higher and higher out of the ground. So he's basically sitting on a piano bench playing the piano while the orchestra's playing higher and higher and higher. And so as the intensity builds, he gets higher off the floor. And then when the Sept blows up, they blew all this green smoke out from under the piano. It was absolutely amazing. That's cool. absolutely amazing. All I can say is, if you ever get a chance to see Game of Thrones in concert, go. <laughs> Holy cow! I'm just That's picturing awesome. the Tivoli. You, have you been to that theater? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> you know they have the guy playing the piano underneath, oh. and then he, he comes <laughs> yeah. up, and then when the movie credit or the movie. Um, what is it called? The trailer start. He like goes down into the thing while oh. it's still playing. 
Well, it was, I mean, it was just, it was absolutely incredible, but it's the intensity and how they built that. All they did was they used music and visuals. Yeah, there's and like they just three built lines the in that, in like the whole first 10 minutes. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it was just astounding. And again, you're just like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. And then you're just like, oh my God, that was the most amazing thing ever. Even mm-hmm. then, I don't remember like at what point I was like, oh no. Like <laughs> if it was like when I saw the candle among the, all of the wildfire and I was like, oh no, that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like, uh, that's an awesome sequence, and I like how all the events leading up to that sequence is, like, it's the craziest thing, but, like, the only time in the show I was, like, rooting for Cersei, and I was like, man, this show is crazy. <laughs> like, it actually has me, like, on Cersei's side for, for this, where, like, I can't remember the name of the religious faction that took over for uh, it. The High Sparrow. The, yeah, but, like, I was like, yeah, I want to see him, like, burn. <laughs> see, like, yeah, this like, faction end. You, you want to see, you, like, and it was her mistake to give power back to the church, and then she was like... Yeah. I shouldn't have done this, and this is how I'm going to rectify this. And And I also like how, um, like, when Marjorie tries to escape when she realizes something's not right, how they all, like, keep them in inside of the sept. Like, they're like, no, you can't leave. And it's kind of funny how, like, their strictness, like, kind of leads to, like, oh, yeah. their own indirect yeah. uh, suicide. Do, to, yeah, it's just, for, like, it was, a it was just absolutely, it was just jaw-dropping to watch mm-hmm. that Um. Peter, your last pick of the night. Okay, so my last pick has uh, actually already been said, but it's uh, Daenerys in the last episode when Drogon's behind her, and it looks oh, like yeah, she yeah. has. Because, like, the thing is, the show, I don't know why, but, like, this shot of the show is, like, so well done, and it keeps playing in my mind over and over again, and it's, I think it's because the show is so well-grounded throughout the whole series, like, Every single episode, like, I don't know, it's just, like, everything... It's in a medieval fantasy world, but everything is handled in a very realistic way. And when you see that shot, it looks like Daenerys grew dragon wings, you know? And it's just, like, the feeling I got when I saw that was so eerie, where I'm just like, wait, what is going on? For just a split second, and it was just such a memorable experience. Um, And it keeps getting shared on social media. It's just, what a wonderful shot, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. like You just get to watch this gif of the wings, you know, the dragon taking off. And then I've seen people online who, uh, it was actually like a Twitter comment I saw that somebody said, but they said, this scene showed the demon that she became. And I just love that sort of phrasing to sum that's up a, like that's that. That's yeah. perfect phrasing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that one, obviously. Uh, Bryn, what's your final pick of the night? So my final pick is... I, I expected us to match way more, to be completely honest. <laughs> I kind but. of didn't. I kind of chose my scenes. Like, I had the oh, original ones like, in my head. Oh, you're just like, Drew's going to pick that one. No, I'm well, not going to pick that I just figured, because, like, when the, the burning or exploding of the scepter, the sept, I... The scepter. The sept. I figured, like, that one stands out to me just because of what you were saying. I mean, it's incredible. But I was like, everyone is going to think about that. And I was like, let's... What are other ones that really, like, got me? So, my favorite... One of my favorite characters is also Arya. So, the scene when she's, um, like, basically fighting the waif. And then... When she actually, like, the legit fight yeah, with the, the waif? Yeah, the legit okay. one. And then, so, that whole scene, but then when she cuts the candlelight with Needle, that from that point until when Jacken says to her, like, who are you? And she's like, my, like... I'm Arya, I'm now misquoting it, but like, and I'm going home, that whole, that was like, bam. It's like, all of that, 
all the all of the training and all the things that she has done to get her to that point where she can return back to Westeros and use everything. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. No, this is a fantastic pick. My question is because I keep track of this on a handy dandy spreadsheet. Thank goodness for Excel. How do you want me to word that? <laughs> <laughs> That's why, because it's like it's kind of like multiple scenes, but like from I don't know. I will just put down Arya fights the waif, and then we'll know because people listen to the episode. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll get they'll get your big. But like explanation. not like the whole scene, like the specifically the moment where she cuts the candle. From that point on, that's where yeah. it was like, yes. That's a really cool part too, because that's like, it's I like how it shows like Arya has the skills essentially, but the reason she's leaving is a moral conundrum where she's like, morally, I can't stay with you guys, and I just like that like. Yeah, I could stay here and do this, but no, I'm going to go home yeah. and do something better for the world, you know, so. And she did. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right, so my that brings me to my final pick of the night, and it is John and Sansa's reunion. Now, Brynn is making a face because she hates Sansa. I but, think you already talked about this on the podcast before. That Brynn hates Sansa? No, no, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, (laughs) You talked about the reunion before I got to it, but you mentioned, like, two characters are reunited in season six for the first time. Okay, so the reason this really stood out, (laughs) and Brynn has got this look on her face, she's got the big question mark in her head, it's almost like she's judging me for this pick. Um, The reason this stood out to me big time is because uh, I read the books so long before the show was ever a concept in anyone's mind to do a show like this, okay? And we hadn't had, in the books at the time, there are no reunions of the Stark children, okay? I watched the show, and I mentioned that I had a pick that resonated on the format that I watched the show. I didn't binge. I didn't have to catch up. I watched it week to week all the way through. So for me, I watched the show week to week until the season one was over, waited a year, week to week till season two was over, waited a year, week to week, so season three, season four, season five, the reunions of characters never dawned on me at all. All I know is I have two characters that are meeting in this episode. They haven't seen each other in six years. Everything Sansa had been through up to that moment Everything John had been to up to that moment, all of the emotional weight was there in that sequence. The way they looked at each other, the way they embraced each other, the the musical score that was written for that piece, all the emotional weight, and I can honestly say I cried at that moment. The problem was, is that was such an emotional scene for me, all the other reunions that followed had no emotional weight. (laughs) I felt like it was all done in that one moment, and I was like, oh my god, Suddenly it made me realize there's going to be more reunions. John will see Arya again. It gave me hope for all these other characters actually getting to reunite. I didn't expect Arya to see Nymeria again, but I did, you know, John gets to see Arya again. We're going to, Bran's going to reconnect with his brothers and sisters and so on and so on. Regardless of what happens with the Stark children, there's going to be other reunions and we're going to get that. But that was such an emotional moment in the show that it hit me real hard. And it's probably one of my favorite moments, period, in the show because of that realization. These are two characters, for me, who haven't seen each other in six years, real time. And they're seeing each other after all this bullshit that they had to go through to get to that moment. 
oh my God, you're still alive. Thank God you're still alive. And they had this incredible embrace. And you're just like, okay, there's hope now. In a show that's been so dark and dreary and shitting on the Starks, suddenly there's a shred of hope for that family. But that is why. And you guys are just quiet. No, I mean, there's, it, was a, it was a great moment. I, didn't, I wasn't impacted as much as you were by it, but I also don't know, like, well, I could when say I watched the show, when I, when, I been, when I watched the show a second time through, when I got to that moment, yeah. it didn't have that impact, but I also binged yeah. it, so it didn't feel like it was six years again. I just think it took away from the reunion between him and Arya, which I feel is just, it's, it, it should be it more. It did take away from the reunion with him and Arya, and I agree with that statement. Because but Sansa because didn't of how even they, care about Jon. Right, but because of how it was handled, is how that. I, I do feel that John and Arya should have had the better reunion. To, but to be honest, like I actually felt like I was impacted more from his reunion with Arya. But that's just maybe like I don't know if it's binging through it or just I connected with those characters yeah. more or whatever it was. But I still like it was really nice to see them like actual actually get re- reunited and everything. So. Brynn's just got this disappointing look on her face, like, you let me down. Sansa. I know, I know, you don't let Sansa. You, but in the end of the show, she got exactly what she wanted from season one when she said, it's all I've ever wanted. Yeah, I thought about that too. I will be queen someday. Yeah. Um, well, that brings us to the end of the list for the night. Uh, Peter, what are we talking about next week? Right, so uh, winter is over, not in Game of Thrones, but in real life. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know how we. Can, that's a good question with the amount of hailstorms we've been getting in the Chicagoland area. That, winter might not be over. With. That's a good. That's a good point, but we can actually combine. You didn't hear about the hail, the massive hailstorm that happened just a couple miles down the road. <laughs> No. Okay. Anyways, we'll uh, talk offline about that. <laughs> we we can uh, combat the uh, bad weather with uh, talking about things that will give us a nice summer vibe, and I think it'd be fun to talk about our top five summer movies for the next podcast. Summer movies. So this, okay, hold on. I need to hear the rules on this. So that's what I was gonna say. Is like most of my lists, I'm really cool with being really loosey goosey. So it could be a movie that takes place during the summer, or if you want to argue that like. This movie doesn't necessarily take place during the summer, but it really gives me that summer feel. I'm cool with that as well. So, I understand that. Well, because yeah. I'm thinking to myself, this movie's called uh, Summer Rental and One Crazy Summer. Right. And you know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> movies about that. Like, Sandlot's a perfect example of yeah, a summer movie. Perfect. Um, American Pie 2. Like, yeah, there's, there's ones that are specifically summer movies, but then, like... Then the, there's movies... Like... There's one that's going to make my list that is very debatable but it's totally has the summer vibe uh you know what that's totally fair we're into summer vacation anyway we think yeah um we'll roll with that um Bryn, it's always a pleasure having you on the show yeah thank um, you for inviting and me and it's always a pleasure getting the text messages after every episode we air when you have thousands of questions for me <laughs> so <laughs> i actually really like having these guest episodes like i think it's fun to have another person in the room to bounce we you should know, stuff off of so yeah. with that being said come back anytime you want <laughs> and if you're just like you know what i really need to come and talk to you guys you can approach us sometimes. We don't have to invite you on. You'd be like, you know what? I have to come on and we have to talk about this. Um, mm. You know, like when Dark Phoenix comes out, because I know you're such a fan of Sophie Turner and Jean Grey. Um, uh, Sophie, if you're listening, Bryn is not a fan of you. Um, I'm just kidding. Great. <laughs> the look on your face was great when I said uh. that. Um, 
No one's the top five report podcast, <laughs> making enemies since 2019. <laughs> um, no, uh, when. Dark Phoenix comes out and you want to like you know and you gonna I know you're gonna have very strong feelings about that movie and that's real soon here um, you are more than welcome to come back on and we can chat we can so. also do a podcast when Bryn and I have read through with the Game of Thrones novels and then do a follow up <laughs> so one so <laughs> in like four years, years. <laughs> well someday we'll get there um, so Bryn in all seriousness come yeah. back anytime um, so uh, we'll close this out so please check out our website top5report.com there you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, and you'll find a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com, if you want to interact with the show. Um, please check us out on iTunes. Share us with our friends. Subscribe to us. If you subscribe to us, you will find that you will not miss a single episode, but you will also be able to leave us a review. We love five stars, but we also appreciate the criticism because it makes our, the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter uh, and Instagram at drew3927. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Ninja Pierre on Twitter, and there you will find my petition to have David Benioff and D.B. Weiss remake Hot Zone. <laughs> <laughs> okay then, uh, Bren, do you want anyone to follow you, or are you gonna just no? I don't want to get anonymous? I don't want to get hate mail no, now. That oh, <laughs> Sophie, uh, Sophie Bren doesn't hate you. She you just wasn't not. a fan of Sansa, <laughs> and she's not a fan of Jean Grey. It's not your fault. <laughs> and I'm a little jealous that you're married to Joe Jonas. Oh, see, that's what it really is. It's jealousy. It's not just you just kidding. don't like her. I'm just kidding. Um, Yes. All right. Well, with that being said, uh, let's put this episode in the bag um, for the Top 5 Report. I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And I'm Brian. See you next week. Thanks, everybody.